Hi there, I'm Quinn White, and welcome to But I'm Not an Engineer, the electrical and computer engineering podcast hosted by me, a USC journalism student who was asked to run this show. Will I learn new things? Yes. Will I be confused? Without a doubt. Join me as I talk with members of the ECE community to learn more about their work and the important role ECE is playing in our future. Today, you're going to hear my conversation with Professor Miriam Shanishi, a USC professor who specializes in neurotechnologies that are designed to help treat people with mental and neurological issues. In this episode, she will help explain the connection between mental health and engineering. So let's get into it. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself for me and tell me what you do in the ECE department? Uh, sure. So my name is Miriam Shunechi. I'm associate professor and Viterbi Early Career Chair in Electrical and Computer Engineering. Uh, I lead a lab uh, working at the interface of machine learning and neuroscience to build neurotechnologies that treat uh, various uh, mental and neurological disorders. Can you describe the ECE approach to problem solving and how is that approach different from other engineering disciplines? Yeah, so, so, so ECE is a very, very broad field, so it really depends on what subject area you look at. But I would say a common core of methodology and approach in ECE is the system level thinking about the problem and how we can actually develop principled uh, systems from um, basic components that can do something useful in the physical or biological world. So I think that emphasis on principled system level design and innovation is what makes ECE special. Whether you're thinking about developing a wireless communication system that we use to talk every day on our iPhones, or we think about developing a neurotechnology system that interacts with the brain, um, we have this way of uh, systematic thinking. I am really interested in knowing more about the connection between like emotions, which is something that's really abstract and complex and how that connects with electrical and computer engineering. If you think about how we have emotions, it's really the electrical activity in our brains that gives rise to all of our functions and internal states, whether it's emotions, whether it's moving our arms, whether it's thinking, our cognitive abilities. It's all a reflection of the electrical signals in our brain and the communication between billions of neurons in our brain. So then you can imagine asking questions such as, well, how are emotions generated in the brain? How are these electrical activity patterns of billions of neurons, these very complex activity patterns give rise to our emotional um, emotions and, and feelings? So what we, the way we think about this problem is that we have uh, recordings, uh, for example, of electrical signals in the brain that we, we use basically various sensors to record these signals. And then we can use mathematical tools and techniques and develop algorithms that can tell us how these signals are related to our emotions. And that way, not only can we understand how emotions are 
generated, but also in the case of mental disorders where there's an emotional dysfunction, what causes that dysfunction and therefore potentially what we can do to come up with alternative therapies. When you explain it that way, it seems like there's a lot more of like a systematic approach, like you were saying. When you explained it like that, it is easier for me to compare it to other kinds of engineering. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so you can, maybe an analogy is, uh, so in wireless communications, right, you're transmitting these wireless signals that encode um, a message. Let's say uh, you're talking on your phone and your voice gets encoded into, um, into a code. It gets transmitted over a wireless channel. Then a receiver receives this code and needs to decode it to figure out what it was that you sent over this wireless link, right? So now you can think about the signal that is the wireless signal being replaced by a brain signal. And you can imagine that now you wanna decode this brain signal to understand, well, what's the brain um, communicating to us? What the brain is encoding about an, our internal states like emotion. So one of the major um, emphasis in, in, in my lab is to record these uh, brain signals using various types of sensors and then try to build mathematical and machine learning models that can decode these signals. So by just looking at these signals, we can tell and decode, well, how are, uh, how are somebody's, um, say, mood symptoms in depression changing over time? Or by just looking at these signals, we can tell, well, what are the movements that that person is making at that point in time? And the reason this is important to be able to make this decoding is that, for example, in the case of depression, if you can decode uh, mood symptom variations, then, then what you can do is you can deliver the therapy to the subject whenever they need it based on what their symptom level is. For example, if I just look at somebody's brain signals and I detect that, they're really um, uh, at, a, at, a, at a, an abnormal symptom level, they need more therapy, I can deliver my therapy when and as needed. Another example of this is let's think of a paralyzed patient who cannot move their arm, but they can still think about that moving their arm. If we can record neural activity pattern from their brains and decode from these neural activity patterns, what movement they wanna make, do they wanna go right or left? Do they wanna move a cursor on a computer screen to this button or the app button? Then we can actually move it for them. And in that way, kind of bypass the site of injury and allowing them to have some motor function again, right? So, so that's why it's important for developing alternative therapies for us to be able to actually make sense of these signals, build machine learning models that can decode these signals. And that way we can track um, symptom levels in mental disorders, or we can uh, decode uh, functions such as movements in real time, such that we can uh, build these uh, kind of neuroprosthetic systems that can uh, help uh, millions with disabilities. I was reading that you treat um, neuropsychiatric disorders using the brain-machine interfaces. Is that what you're kind of talking about? 
Yeah, so we developed brain-machine interfaces with various applications. Neuropsychiatric is a big focus of my lab. So in that case, um, yes, we, we want to build interfaces that can deliver personalized uh, electrical stimulation therapy to patients. So right now, in neuropsychiatric disorders, a large proportion of patients are not responsive to any medication or psychotherapy. So for example, in major depression, about 20 to 30% of major depression patients do not respond to anything, right? Like any current treatment. So the question is, what do we do for these patients? And our idea is that an alternative therapy could be one in which we actually deliver personalized electrical stimulation. So what that means is that I have to build a brain interface that looks at brain signals, based on the brain signals, tracks how, say, mood symptoms are changing in real time in a given patient. And then by looking at that tracked mood symptom, they can deliver the electrical stimulation therapy when and as needed based on the decoded symptom level. So that's why we say this is a personalized approach. It's really personalized your symptom level. If you need the therapy, it will be delivered. If you don't need it, it won't be delivered. It would be delivered at the right dosage for you. And we are hoping that these alternative technologies, brain-machine interface technologies, can, and can provide effective therapies for those patients who are unresponsive um, to current treatments. So that's one example of a brain-machine interface that we're working towards realizing. We also work on other brain-machine interface systems, as I mentioned, for paralyzed patients. So for example, if somebody has spinal cord injury, as I mentioned, they can still think about making a movement, they just can't communicate that to their muscle. So if we record neural activity from the brain, we can um, decode what kind of movement they want to perform, then we can translate that, for example, into a robotic arm movement or a cursor movement on a computer screen and allowing them to have some level of uh, motor function again by bypassing the side of injury. So, so, so those are two types of brain-machine interfaces that we work on, uh, which have a lot of commonalities, right? In its sense of interacting with the brain, decoding brain signals, and delivering personalized therapy. So how does this kind of personalized therapy, how will it expand traditional forms of mental health treatment? Traditional forms of mental health treatments are either drugs, uh, like medications or psychotherapy. And those are great for people whom they work for. Uh, but there's a large proportion of patients who do not respond. As I mentioned, in major depression, for example, about 20 to 30% are not responsive. So we obviously need alternative therapies. And this is an alternative therapy that holds potential to help these patients. So this, these systems are really intended for those patients that are not responsive to these traditional medication or psychotherapies um, for whom we have to come up with alternative uh, therapies. And this personalized uh, deep brain stimulation systems that we're thinking about have the potential to, to serve that purpose. This is kind of in line with the last few questions, but how will this work how will it impact our communities in society now and in the future? So as you may know, um, 
So mental disorders are actually one of the leading causes of disability worldwide. So they're like uh, really debilitating. Um, and therefore we really need to come up with therapies given the large proportion of patients that are currently unresponsive. So if we can come up with uh, alternative therapies that can be effective, you can imagine the societal impact of that given, given the huge cost and the debilitating effect of these uh, disorders. So that's, that would be a, a huge impact in, uh, in society and for the care of these uh, uh, tens of millions of patients. What excites you most about the future of understanding brain function and the research that you're working on now? So there are multiple exciting facets. Uh, first, I mean, just understanding how the brain works is a fascinating topic, right? From just a basic science perspective, well, how does our brain consists of, I don't know, 86 billion neurons. How do these neurons communicate, coordinate their activity to give rise to all of our functions, our thinking, our internal states and emotions? From just a basic science perspective, that's a fascinating question. But one other area as an engineer that motivates me uh, as much, perhaps more, is the impact I can have once I understand this and once I can develop the right machine learning and uh, machine learning algorithms and systems to actually impact people's lives, and by developing these alternative personalized therapies that can treat tens of millions of patients. And then you can imagine down the line, maybe understanding the brain could also inform future computing systems. If you can understand how the brain works this very complex system, how does it perform computations? How does it give rise to our functions? Then maybe we can use those principles to build better AI systems or machine learning systems. So there's like essentially three areas that excite me. One is understanding the brain just as a fascinating system. One is to develop neurotechnologies around the brain to treat mental and neurological disorders. And finally, to use the understanding that we gain to inform future engineering and AI systems. Is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you might like to add? So I would like to add that as our problems in society are getting bigger and bigger, there's a bigger need for a team-based interdisciplinary approach to these problems where engineers, electrical engineers, computer engineers, work alongside neuroscientists, neurosurgeons, and take this interdisciplinary approach that transcends really traditional boundaries of research to come up to solution to emerging and standing problems. And I think it's a really exciting time for electrical and computer engineers to make an impact in these domains, such as neuroscience and medicine that traditionally engineers have stayed away from. So I think there's a lot of opportunity in that interdisciplinary interface for engineers to make an impact and solve some of the biggest health and societal problems. Thank you again for listening to another episode of But I'm Not an Engineer. To listen to future episodes of this podcast, please visit uscece.podbean.com or search, but I'm not an engineer on Spotify or Apple podcasts. 
Be sure to follow usc.ece on Instagram to stay up to date on new episodes and other exciting projects from the Electrical and Computer Engineering Labs. For the Viterbi School of Engineering, I'm Quinn White. Thanks again for listening.